Welcome back to the Funky Brain Podcast. I'm Dennis, and this is my funky brain up here. There's a lot going on up here, but we're doing great today, and that's all that matters. But I want to take a second and talk about Life Mastery School up here, and that's a series of free videos by yours truly um, on everything from addiction recovery and love and relationships to uh, health and wellness and mindfulness and meditation. Tons of free videos. Stop by DennisBerry.com. Check it out. And I'm sure you'll find something interesting there. But our guest today is a poet and an author of eight books, which were inspired in part by his struggles earlier in life, which I can totally relate to. And at age 27, in the midst of losing everything, he decided to see if he could write his way out of a deep clinical depression that came with medications, misdiagnoses, and a long-time battle with insomnia, all of which I can relate to. And he concluded that it took a lifetime of the wrong use of language and learned helplessness to get him in that place. And maybe the only way to create some peace and lightness of mind was to take the reins of his life and write out a new story. I love this whole concept here, but a story of acceptance, perseverance, strength, and a little bit of compassion for himself and others. And wow, do I love all that. And he also hosts a very informative podcast called Good Air, which I was fortunate enough to appear on recently. Please check that out. Mr. Joseph Fasaro, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, we had a great talk last time. I think it was we just really did. the last couple of weeks, wasn't it? Last week, yeah, last Tuesday, and um, I felt good coming out of that. So I know that that you're good at what you do, just from that 45 minutes or so. Yeah, well, we have fun over here at the Funky Brain Podcast. And how's 2021 treating you so far? It's been good. I, I mean, it's a little, uh, little bit of a shock, I guess, coming out of a year where I just kind of sat in my room for uh, you know 12 or 13 months, and then you know reawakening and going out into the world, and I'm just trying to get. Uh, some of my in-person work going again. And um, it's actually caused more stress and triggers than I anticipated. In what uh, but, way? Um, I feel like I got very comfortable in 2020 uh, working from my desk and going to bed in my bed right behind me and, you know, and just doing that over and over again. And um, I kind of got into a mode where like, oh, if this is the way it's going to be, I can deal with it. And then about a month or two ago, it was like, oh, you might have to start like, you know, going into the office again and like seeing clients in person again. And, and I'm fine with that. Like, actually, once I get there, I'm excited. But it was like the whole like crawling out of 2020 kind of deal and just trying to uh, force myself to be, uh, a, you know, a person of the public again <laughs> after I was a hermit for so long. A person of the public. Yeah, I'm guessing there's a <laughs> lot of those struggles going on right now. I could imagine. I could imagine that. Uh, I think people that really struggled with depression, I don't want to speak for anybody else, obviously, but um, there was a, a bit of relief during 2020, as weird as that may sound. Um, you know, the people that, that like myself who, who don't do great or, or don't get too excited about being in like large crowds and, uh, you know, being the center of attention. I, you know, besides obviously the nasty virus that was going around and all the other, you know, terrible things that were happening. Um, there was a bit of comfort that I didn't have to be in those social situations a little bit. 
Yeah, sure. I think a lot of people are in that exact same boat. So tell us a little bit about your story about like what, what it was like and what got you to where you are and what you do today. Yeah. So I'll, I'll bring you back to uh, college. It's uh, 2001. I get to Quinnipiac university in uh, Connecticut and September 11th happens like uh, a week to 10 days into college and I'm there for business. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, money and business doesn't really seem too important anymore. You know, it just, uh, all of a sudden I had all these questions about, you know, that, things that I never thought about as a kid, like, you know, politics and, and government and, you know, war and like all these things that I'd never thought about before, you know, being from New York and having gone to the city with my friends all the time throughout high school, it was really like what, the hell just happened here like why did this terrible thing just happen why did I go to this college where you know for a week we were like partying hard and then all of a sudden it was just like candlelight vigils and everybody was sad and there there were people in our dorms who had like lost family members and friends who were down there in New York City that day um so it's just like the whole vibe just uh just got very confusing for me is because like you're there for fun and to grow and to learn and to get this awesome job you know and it's it just didn't have that that same energy or that same, you know, good feeling that it had in 11th and 12th grade when I was looking to going into college. So I started, I, I got like a little depressed, a little anxious, you know, kind of retreated from going to classes a little bit, was kind of, uh, you know, I noticed that even a month or two after 9-11, when people started going back out to like the bars again and hanging out and going to parties, like I was more comfortable just staying in my room. Like I didn't really want to hang out with anybody to talk to anybody. So I was having trouble with school. Like my grades were dropping a little bit and I talked to somebody and they were like, Hey man, you got to try this uh, medicine called Adderall. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like I, anything that will help me get my grades together right now. I'm like, let's do it. Like, so I try it and I'm like, Oh damn, like, this is really good. I really like this. <laughs> So I uh, started taking it once in a while to study, noticed that then it, it became more and more frequently, like it wasn't just like a once a week, you know, for this paper thing anymore. It was like, on a Tuesday night, I finished my work, like, let me smoke a joint, take an Adderall, you know, and uh, that quickly led to me um, going to my therapist who I'd started seeing right before college. Cause I already had like a little bit of anxiety and depression, but I wasn't taking anything for it. I, I may have been on it like an antidepressant at the time, but wasn't on any, any like strong narcotics or anything like that. So went back to my doctor and said, listen, I've been taking this stuff called Adderall, um, at college and it really helps me study. And like, like I had bullshitted myself into like, this was okay. Like now looking back, I'm like, wow, I was straight up lying to myself. Like I knew it just felt good. Like at the time I, I totally knew that it just felt good, but because it became in a, in a bottle and was signed off by a doctor, I'm like, I, I totally convinced myself like, this is going to be fine. Like nothing bad is going to come out of this. And uh, yeah. So throughout that year um, I, I got prescribed uh, Xanax and Adderall uh, in 2001 going into 2002. And, uh, that year just kind of college spiraled out of control. Like I, I totally stopped going to classes. I was extremely depressed, like had bouts of crying in my room, like was 
thought I was suicidal, but really couldn't even tell in my own head if I was, or if it was a cry for help. Like I, I was just, I think between everything that was going on and the meds, like just totally confused myself. So, um, ended up dropping out of, uh, college that, that spring and, uh, or, or I shouldn't say dropping out. I, I did get a decent amount of credits, but I also lost a lot of money for the classes that I didn't pass, which, um, which hurt going forward. Cause now you've got loans that you're carrying. Uh, so I came back, came back home and for the next few years, it was just, um, I'd switch between I'd work for six months to a year and I'd be like, ah, I hate this. I want to go back to college. I'd go to college. I'd go for like one semester, two semesters. And I'd be like, ah, I hate this. I got to go. I got to go find a full-time job. And that went on until I was like 25 or 26. And I was, I was in denial that the meds that I was taking at the time were really helping the spiral out of control. Like they were pushing it. And um, totally addicted and dependent to both Adderall and Xanax. And at around age 26, I want to say, I was working a job. I was, I was miserable at the job. I was living with a few friends. And I just felt my symptoms like getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, at around that time, I started having like mania and almost like schizoaffective symptoms that, you know, now I believe it's, it's from the, you know, excessive use of the Adderall and Xanax combined with not sleeping because I'd always had a problem with insomnia from when I was younger. So if you put Adderall on top of insomnia, it's like, you're just never going to sleep ever. So at around age 26, so at, at this time, I lost my job. I lost the house that I was living in with a few friends. Like I just couldn't pay rent. So I couldn't re-sign my lease. Had to go back home. Couldn't make my car payments. Lost my car um, from all like the things that were going on and, and the way that I was, I wasn't like facing what was going on. I wasn't facing the problems. So all of my friendships basically ended at around that time. Um, wasn't really talking to family because they they had their own views that like I needed to get serious help. And I was totally in denial of that. Didn't want to hear that would push back, would fight. And um, yeah, so, so came home that summer, uh, like was in like a, a schizoaffective, like manic state that whole summer, which was, was really strange because I had stopped taking everything that summer. Like a doctor had said, like, you're done, you're cut off. Like, we can't give you this stuff anymore. It's, it's killing you. And um, as soon as I came off everything, I, I just like my mind just spiraled out of control. I ended up going out to Los Angeles, um, was had no idea what I was going to do, but just wanted to like sit on a beach and write and like be away from everybody kind of deal. I remember the first weekend I was there, it didn't really hit me and it's still tough for me to talk about. So it's, <laughs> it didn't really hit me. I was out on a beach. I had met a few friends and we were walking from Venice Beach up to Santa Monica and I was having such a good time. And I was like, wow, I was like, I finally found like some peace in my life. Right. And then on the walk back, I remember getting really sad. And it was like, I thought all the things that I had lost over the last year, all the colleges that I had dropped out of, all the jobs that I walked away from, all the people that went out of their way to like help me get into those colleges and get into those jobs, like all the things that I had 
fucked up, like hit me on the way on the walk back from Santa Monica to Venice Beach. So I say goodbye to everybody um, that, you know, that I just met that weekend. Like they weren't like great friends or they were new friends. And um, I went up to my room and I just got really sad. I got really, really sad and was up that whole night. And I remember halfing a can of cola. I won't use a name because I don't remember what name. And I just started carving a heart into my arm. And I thought that was like, now thinking back, I'm like, that's such a incredible thing to be like that sad and that depressed. But like, I'm carving a heart into my arm. Like it's like subconsciously, like all I wanted more than anything was like love. Right. And um, so I dug the half a cocaine into my wrist and I was about to pull and I heard like a loud knock on the door at like, it was probably like six in the morning. I put a sweatshirt over my arm. I go up to the door and it's to LAPD. And they were like, are you Joe Fusaro? I'm like, yes. And they're like, we have searched every hotel in Venice Beach for you. Like, apparently I'd sent a text to an ex-girlfriend like a couple hours before that I wanted to end my life. And um, she called LAPD. She was out of state. She was in a totally other another state. And she just called LAPD and said, I know that my ex is in Venice Beach, California, and he's staying at a hotel, but I don't know where. So they were like putting out calls and sending, uh, you know, police to um, to every hotel and, and Venice until they found me. And that was literally, I mean, the, the shock of the moment was enough to keep me from doing it. And um, because I had put my sweatshirt over my arm and everything, they didn't see the cuts and they just like gave me their card. And they said, you know, we have a social worker if you need to talk to anybody, but you know, please don't send out any more texts like that if you're not going to do it. And uh, so they, they left and I was kind of in shock from the whole thing and didn't follow through with it. And then spent like a year, you know, homeless and working in hostels and stuff in Los Angeles. And then finally gave up at the end of that year, uh, called my mom at, you know, 27, 28 years old and asked if I could come home. And she booked me a flight and I ended up coming back home and, and spent the next couple of years in and out of hospitals to, uh, to detox and to just try and get, they, they couldn't figure out where these like manic and, and psychosis and, and, uh, schizoaffective symptoms were coming from. But I, once I totally weaned off all the medication and started getting sleep again, they haven't come back. So the only thing I could make of it is that it's a mix of not sleeping and, and being on all those meds for so many years. That was rock bottom. And then, then from there, I guess the next story begins and it was the crawl, the crawl back. That's a really powerful story. I, you, I didn't know about that when we spoke last week. It's really interesting. And you know, what a breakdown. A lot of us need that breakdown, that rock bottom point. I didn't specifically try to kill myself. I didn't have the courage to do that. I was doing it slowly with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I think a lot of people take that path too, because we're just lost and had nowhere. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to exist in this crazy world, but I knew how to numb out. So I didn't have to try to figure it out. And uh, that's a really powerful story. Well, I'm glad you made that through. And that sometimes we need those breakdowns to, to get the awakenings. So tell us about the crawling out of that. There was a good two to three years, I'd say, from the end of 08 or beginning of 09 until maybe the end of uh, 2011, where I was just, it was constant, um, you know, me 
getting saying something like ridiculous to a family member that like just didn't make sense and then they would call the police and the police would show up at my house and be like you know joe what's going on like we heard that you know you said i i I don't even know what i was saying but i'm sure it was just something manic and you know paranoid or like you know me freaking out about something that wasn't really happening or over anxious about something that people couldn't understand why i was anxious and uh so it was a couple of years of, of just like, you know, police picking me up, bring me to the hospital. I go to the hospital, do, you know, I was, I was getting shots of Haldol, uh, which really like the, I, I found out later that they call it the, um, the chemical lobotomy. Cause it basically like turned off my mind. Like I remember coming home after one of the hospitalizations and laying on the couch and being like, Oh, I haven't been on the internet in a while. Like, let me just go look up some news or like, you know, whatever, whatever people used to do on the internet. <laughs> Cause like I was homeless for a while and then I came back and I, it's funny when you're not around a computer, like you kind of forget that it exists. <laughs> so I remember looking at the computer and I'm on this, this med called Haldol and um, I'm looking at like, you know, the Google search engine and I had no idea what to type. Like I had no idea what I was interested in. Like now, if you ask me, I, you know, look up news or look up, you know, met score. Or so, you know, something would come to mind if I put, a search engine in front of you and said like, Hey, look up something that you're interested in. Nothing came to mind. And I was just like, this is, this is freaking me out. Like, this is really bad. Um, so I, I kind of, I lost complete hope in the whole like psychiatry system. Like I, I was, I was disgusted in it, but, but like, I knew I needed help, but I, I was like, I, I just don't see an out for me with the way that they're treating it right now. So after a couple of years, I like stopped going to the doctor and I realized that if I just kept my mouth shut, they would stop taking me to the hospital. So like, I kind of learned to just like stop saying stuff. Like, like, I don't know how it's easier said than done. Right. Cause when you're like freaking out about something, like it all just kind of spills out. But, um, I stopped and I remember my last hospitalization, they gave me enough meds for like two or three weeks. And they were like, you need to find another doctor, you know, very soon. And you need to, you need to go to them like once a week and until this is figured out. So I got out, obviously I waited until I had like two or three days of meds left. Um, and I started looking through my insurance book and found a nurse practitioner. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, I don't even know what the hell a nurse practitioner is. Like, can, can this nurse prescribe me meds or whatever? So I call it and it was like August or something. Um, and, you know, trying to get a hold of a psychiatrist or a psychologist in August is pretty much, you know, impossible. They're all on vacation. He was the only one in my insurance book that picked up the call. And he was like, yeah, come in. I went and saw him, uh, turned out to be the biggest blessing of my life. Um, best therapist I've ever had, uh, has, I mean, has the credentials or, or is better than any doctor that I've ever saw in my life. And I think by the third appointment, like once he, you know, saw that, you know, the meds were the problem and that he he looked at me like I was a real person. And I think that that was the difference. Everyone that I had been going to before was kind of just like checking off boxes, like staring deep into me, like trying to figure out, you know, who I was, like, what was I up to? But this guy just saw a person. He just saw a person that was struggling that, you know, needed, needed some compassion. And uh, I remember he said to me, he's like, you know, you just, he's like, Joe, you deserve to be happy. 
He's like, you deserve happiness as much as anyone else. And I like, like my mind was just like, what? Like I, that was, that's what I needed to hear. And I hadn't heard that. I don't think in my whole life. And I, I mean, I don't blame anybody else for that, but it's just like, I couldn't believe that, you know, now I was probably almost 30 or maybe 30 years old. And um, this is the first time I had had a therapist like that I connected with. And um, after that, he uh, had me doing uh, mindfulness. He had me doing uh, loving kindness and self-compassion with Kristen Neff. And then I got into uh, John Kabat-Zinn's um, MBSR mindfulness, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And then it was just like, I realized that breathing and taking care of myself, like I, I realized that that's what I was missing in my life. It, it wasn't a drug. It wasn't a chemical. It wasn't, you know, sex. It wasn't a high. It wasn't more money. It wasn't anything like that. It was just the ability to like take care of myself and, and love myself and treat myself good. And I didn't realize that we need to do that before we can treat others that way. And, and he really, he helped me over like the next, I, mean, I still see him today. So I'm 38 now. So I, I've been with the guy eight years and, and in therapy years, I feel like that's like a hundred, right? Like <laughs> It is. Yeah. That, that is a lot of time for one therapist. That's it. That's yeah. funny. So yeah, that's interesting. So what, you know, what's your take now? Are do, do you take meds now or do you, are you med free? So I do take a drug, uh, it's called Seroquel for sleep. Um, and it also helps with mania and bipolar. And, um, so I guess people who have like, uh, bipolar one and schizoaffective would take it like during the day in the afternoon and at night, but because my problem is sleep, I only take it before I take a small amount before I go to bed. And as long as my sleep is on and I get like seven, eight hours every night, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I still have like a little bit of anxiety and depression that I have to keep an eye on. Like, I'm not saying like, it's, you know, I take that and everything's perfect, but, um, but yeah, if my sleep is good, like, um, I feel good. Tell us a, a little bit about the good air. Along this journey. So my writing, I, I wrote poetry like throughout this whole process, you know, from, uh, from the worst days up until, you know, recently, which are the better days. And I noticed something from my past is that I was always like writing myself into a hole. I would, I would find the negative and instead of getting it out and moving on, I would latch onto it. I'd want to find out more about the negative. Like, why is this terrible thing happening? Why did this breakup happen? Why did I quit this job? Like, why am I so stupid? And it would just like spiral, spiral, spiral down. And at around, well, probably around my last hospitalization, I remember my aunt came to visit me. It was amazing throughout all my hospitalizations. She was, um, her and my mom would like, you know, they were the only two people that came and saw me when I was in the hospital or like, you know, kept in, uh, in consistent contact. And she said to me, she looked at one of my poems that I wrote in the hospital. She's like, can't you write something happy? And I was like, I got so mad. <laughs> I was like, happy. I'm like, I'm in a psych hospital right now. Like, you know, they, they strapped me to a bed and brought me in here. Like, what do I possibly have to be happy about? And then after a couple of days, I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe she's right. Maybe I need to start finding something positive. Um, maybe it's my job to to latch on to something positive, you know, if you're going to latch, like, it's probably not good to, to hold on too tightly to anything. Right. Like, and I've learned that now, 
But when you're really going through a struggle, you you tend to latch on to like the worst of everything. And, and then like that just manifests like more negativity and more anger. And like you end up carrying that around. So I started like doing a little bit of writing, like trying to at least at the end of the poem, like turn it around. Like even if I was going to list all the things that were, you know, going wrong and that I didn't like or whatever, at least at the end, like try and flip it, like to, to have a little bit of light. And I realized that um, as I did more research and more studying and, and just more getting to know myself that like my life was filled with like a lot of negative things. Like there were a lot of negative news that I was taking in a lot of uh, negative attitudes towards people that I didn't even know, or, you know, people that, Oh, look at this asshole on TV. Well, well, what do I know about that person? Like, who am I to sit here and say anything about anybody on TV or the internet? Like, I don't know these people. And, um, so good air getting back to your question, is <laughs> the longest setup ever. Good air is me just trying to find you know, friends that are, that are doing something positive and have a conversation about it and just, just putting it out there because I, I really don't think that, um, there was enough of that. And, and it's getting so much better over the last few years. I see so many people like yourself and, and a lot of the other people I work with that are putting like positive vibes out there. And I, I just think we need more of that. I think that, um, as a whole, like we're all so addicted to the dopamine high or the dopamine hit that we get from the extreme negative or the extreme positive. And, and by extreme positive, I mean like that, like fake positivity, like, you know, um, the, that we see a lot out there of like, you know, just, uh, there's a lot of extremes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of titles that don't match what's really in the story with good air. I'm just, I'm just trying to put like some positive vibes out there and, and maybe people latch on pe people who are depressed, maybe latch on to some positivity instead of um, some negativity. Awesome. I love it, man. Well, thanks so much for being so honest and sharing your story. I know that it's helpful for a lot of people who are struggling and just don't know what to do, like how to put one foot in front of the other. So uh, it's good for them to hear that strength and hope and that honesty. I, I really appreciate the honesty and um, your stories do line up. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that by your book and all that stuff? Uh, yeah. So a uh, webpage, which is basically just like a, a resume that has links to everything on it is unreadletters.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can get a taste of poetry or the podcasts or anything that I'm doing at, at sincerely underscore Joe. And uh, books are all on Amazon, Joseph Usaro. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Joe. I really appreciate it. It was so nice to see you again. We'll have to do it again sometime in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much, Dennis. And you're putting that good air out there too. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate that too. And thanks everybody for tuning in to the Funky Brain Podcast and have a beautiful day, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. One of the biggest questions I hear all the time is what does it take to create lasting change in my life? Well, it depends on what's going on in your life. Are you struggling with alcoholism or an addiction of any type like food or shopping or smoking or your iPhone? or porn? Are you having health problems or relationship problems? Do you want to lose 30 pounds or 100 pounds? Do you have a brilliant business idea that you just can't seem to get off the ground? Have you been trying to write your book for years but keep procrastinating? Are you in debt up to your eyeballs and don't know how to get out of it? You want to run a marathon? Well, one of the biggest hurdles in achieving these life-changing goals is consistency. A great example I like to use is when you hear, I tried that diet, but it didn't work. 
Well, the truth is that it did work. You probably stopped working at it. How does that all play out? Well, you go on a diet, you do what it says, you stop eating sugar and processed foods and crap. You start exercising, moving your body more, and then you lose 30 pounds. So you start eating cheesecake and fast food again, and you gain it all back. So what happened there? There was no accountability. And of course, no consistency in your life. This is where having a high performance coach in your life comes into play. We decide what it is you want to achieve, whether it's sobriety, healthy relationships, weight loss, or whatever. Then we create specific action steps to get these done on a daily basis. And then we radically change your life forever. As a master life coach and best-selling author, I've been working with both men and women worldwide for over 15 years to help them kick their addictions and master their lives. I'm currently working with clients in Canada, England, New Zealand, and of course, throughout the United States here. Set up your first free session today. Don't wait till tomorrow or for the perfect time to get started. Now is the perfect time to change your life forever. I'll see you soon. Have a beautiful day.